coatings industry, professionals are faced with many challenges regarding corrosion and the destructive forces associated with it. While there are many forms of corrosion, one of the most commonly seen is galvanic corrosion, which occurs when dissimilar metals are in close proximity to one another. Luckily for us professionals, that there are several methods available to us and to asset owners to help fight this form of corrosion and others. On today's edition of Coatings Decoded, I interviewed Dean Winger with Jacobs and get his insights on galvanic corrosion, its effects, as well as some ways to help mitigate it. So welcome to Coatings Decoded. I'm Brian Cheshire, Tenemic's Director of Sales for Water Wastewater, and I will be your host for today's episode. While galvanic corrosion is a principle that is taught in some of the first chapters of any corrosion engineering course, it is still a form of corrosion that is seen prevalently across all industries. As a caveat, I do want to mention that while today's interview will focus heavily on the water and wastewater industry, galvanic corrosion is something that is commonly seen across all industries. So without any further ado, I would like to introduce our guest for today's interview on Coatings Decoded, Dean Winger with Jacobs. Dean, how are you doing today? Good. Thanks, Brian. Yeah. Yeah. Th thank you for joining us today. So uh, before we get started in the interview, can you give our listeners a quick introduction of yourself, your experience in the industry, and a brief description of your role at Jacobs? Yeah, so I'm Dean Wanger with Jacobs. Um, I'm a corrosion engineer for water wastewater. Five years experience starting next year. I just recently got my professional engineering license in the state of Arizona. And I have a NACE level one coatings inspector certification and uh, CP2 cathodic protection technician certification. Uh, my role with Jacobs is really just corrosion control for all things water and wastewater. Um, we design a lot of water, wastewater treatment plants, pump stations, pipelines, you name it, all the infrastructure that needs protection, as well as doing a lot of inspection and testing, evaluating, aging infrastructure. Well, thank you for that introduction and, and congratulations on the, the recent achievement of, of getting your professional engineering license there in Arizona. That, that's, I would imagine quite a bit of work went into that and, and congratulations on that. Thanks, yeah, appreciate it. So, so jumping into our discussion, I'd, I'd like to really start out by taking us back to basics per se. So. I would imagine that most everyone listening to this podcast today has had to deal with corrosion and has worked actively to try to mitigate its effects. So just looking at the U.S. infrastructure as a sample size, you know, that there's really many examples right in front of our eyes. And, and, and many studies have been done on this and, and you know, where, where we've tried to estimate the, the direct cost of corrosion, which uh, last I checked is is actually several trillion dollars globally. So, so very, very immense, very daunting. So, um, but Dean, I, I know that you and I have both observed, you know, in our time in the industry, we've observed really all types of corrosion across multiple industries, really, and, and geographies. But 
you know, but really before we set up our conversation today on, on, on galvanic corrosion, I, I'd like first for you to talk about uh, some of the basics of corrosion and, and what are some of the things that the listeners should, should take away from that? Yeah, from a basic standpoint, corrosion is an electrochemical process. And I like to break it down into the acronym ACME, the anode, cathode, metallic return path, and electrolyte. You need all four of those things for corrosion to happen. If you take a piece of steel and buried it in the ground, there's going to be local anodes and cathodes on that piece of steel. The metallic return path is the same piece of steel and the electrolyte would be the dirt that it's buried in. And the potential difference between those local anodes and cathodes will be the driving force for corrosion to happen. So Dean, thank, thank you for that input. And um, you know, today we're gonna to be talking quite a bit about corrosion of steel surfaces. Um, I, it is worth mentioning that, that corrosion is a, a force that really attacks all surfaces. But um, for today's conversation, a lot of it's gonna be talking about uh, carbon steel, uh, especially situations where carbon steel is, is coupled with stainless steel. So when you look at the field of corrosion engineering that there's you know, eight forms of corrosion, uh, we're not gonna go into all these, but just, just some of those worth mentioning are um, general corrosion, which is gonna be a more uniform attack, uh, crevice corrosion, pitting, Pitting is, is really going to be the, the damage mechanism we're going to talk about the most today, um, which is a result of galvanic corrosion, which is caused by dissimilar metals uh, in close proximity to each other. And so while these are, or while these all can be very destructive forces, that luckily there are many different types of corrosion control methods that are available to us. You know, many of these are, are tried and true. Um, and, and these really range anywhere from just the overall design of a structure, design of a project. Um, it can even get into what materials are selected. You know, some materials may perform better in certain scenarios. Um, you know, protective coatings is another one. Um, obviously, me being in the field of protective coatings, this is something that, that I deal with each and every day. Um, and I know, Dean, with you, uh, in your experience with Jacobs and dealing with coatings, you know, you, you've, you've seen many of the benefits of utilizing these. So Dean, you know, as I just mentioned there, there's there's several different corrosion control methods that are available to us. Uh, obviously, protective coatings being one of those. Um, if you can talk about some of, some of the benefits of using a protective coating as a method of cor corrosion control. Yeah, so protective coatings, generally speaking, there's uh, three ways you can use them to help mitigate corrosion. Uh, the first probably most common is just creating a barrier to the environment or the electrolyte, if you use the ACME acronym. The second would be uh, sacrificial or galvanic protection with the coating. This is, would typically be uh, like a zinc rich primer used on carbon steel or even like a metallized zinc coating on carbon steel take advantage of that inherent potential difference between zinc and carbon steel 
and the, the zinc will sacrifice itself to protect the carbon steel. And then the third method is uh, inhibition. The, the coating just slows the overall corrosion process. And using coatings, you know, you can increase the longevity of various assets you put the coatings on. I guess kind of going back to, to some of the forms of corrosion um, that I just mentioned a minute ago, obviously today's topic is, is galvanic corrosion. So could you, could you talk about this form of corrosion a little further and, and really describe to our listeners how exactly it works? Yeah, so with galvanic corrosion, you really have to keep that ACME acronym in mind. Again, that's anode, cathode, metallic return path, and electrolyte. So with two different metals coupled together, you still need all four of those things present for corrosion to take place. For example, if you welded a stainless steel pipe to a carbon steel pipe, immersed it in water, you would have an anode, the carbon steel, the cathode, the stainless steel, the metallic return path would be that welded joint, and the conductive electrolyte would be the water that it's immersed in. And then you would be able to confidently say that corrosion would take place. And since carbon steel is the anode, we know that that corrosion is going to be focused on carbon steel and it will sacrifice itself to protect that stainless steel pipe that it's welded to. And so if you take it a step further, the rate of corrosion, the current density that flows between the carbon steel and the stainless steel that uh, is really controlled by the exposed surface area between the anode and the cathode. So if you have a, a really large cathode, a lot of stainless steel in our example, and a really small anode, uh, not much carbon steel in our example, then the rate of corrosion on that carbon steel will be magnified considerably. So the, the rate of corrosion will be directly proportional to the current density and current density is just amps per square feet, right? So uh, if you have 10 cathodes for one anode, that's 10 times the corrosion rate of one cathode to one anode. And conversely, if you have a really large anode, a lot of carbon steel in our example, and a really small cathode, not much stainless steel in our example, then that corrosion rate would be uh, pretty minimal, right? So 10 anodes versus one cathode is gonna be 10 times slower than if it was one-to-one. -one. Well, Dean, one, one, one of the things that many of our listeners will probably recognize or will be familiar to them is, is the galvanic series. And you've already touched on this some, but um, could you briefly talk about um, the galvanic series, how it works and, and really um, what the implications are if, I guess the further metals are apart on that series, if they're coupled together? Yeah, the, the galvanic series really tells us uh, the different potentials between various metals. And 
I think I alluded to it before, but that potential difference between the two metals is what is driving our corrosion cell in a galvanic couple. And it really goes back to some of the corrosion control methods that I mentioned earlier and um, something as simple as, as design or material selection. You know, there, there may be some instances where um, you could potentially pick a different metal um, if, if it is going to have the potential to be coupled with it with another one. Um, you want to try to avoid those situations where you've got even more rapid corrosion in, in a lot of those cases. So protective coatings are, are, are one means, but as I mentioned, you know, design or material selection can, can also impact some of these, some of these things that are coming into play here. That's right. That's right. There's, there's a few different ways to combat galvanic corrosion. Um, you know, obviously you can select it out with the, by picking materials close together on the galvanic series or picking the same material for different connections. You can try to eliminate that couple from being exposed to the electrolyte with a barrier coating, or you could try to reduce the corrosion rate on the anode by manipulating the exposed surface area to the electrolyte. And a lot of times protective coatings come in handy for that, that third scenario where you want to reduce the amount of surface area exposed to the electrolyte. It actually ends up being the opposite of, of what a lot of folks expect. Uh, if we go back to my carbon steel and stainless steel example, um, you know, and it's, it's immersed in water, right? So, you know, we would typically coat that carbon steel just to protect it from the water by itself. And then if we, maybe we wouldn't be coating the stainless steel in this situation because there's not enough chlorides in the water or something, right? So the, now our, our exposed surface area is magnified to just pinholes in the coating on that carbon steel. So we have a lot of exposed, uncoated stainless steel and maybe a half a centimeter pinhole somewhere. And so we've got a very, very large concentrated current density flowing across that very small exposed surface area on the carbon steel. And that's where you would see some pitting corrosion, we would expect. And so you can use protective coatings to really reduce that surface area ratio between the anode and the cathode. Um, in this scenario, you would also probably want to coat that stainless steel pipe. And then it's just a one, one pinhole or a couple pinholes on the stainless steel pipe versus a couple pinholes exposed on the carbon steel pipe. So, so knowing what we know about, about dissimilar metals and some of the corrosion that can take place, you know, you get your hands in in design, I would imagine at times, and, and you get to see a lot of specifications, um, a lot of drawings. Um, what what would be some of the scenarios, or really what would be some of the reasons that, that you you've seen the necessity to have different metals to be mixed in various designs? Well, a lot of times we don't have much of a choice. You go into an existing water wastewater plant and they're going to connect carbon steel pipe to whatever's in the ground. 
and you just got to make it work and mitigate the corrosion as best we can. Um, other times, you kind of, somebody in my role sees a dissimilar metal connection um, after another design engineer has, has selected materials. For example, uh, one of my favorite ones to come across is a water storage tank. And on the drawings, they'll show a stainless steel ladder. So it's a carbon steel tank and a stainless steel ladder. And everybody thinks, well, all the water storage tanks I've inspected, the ladder always corrodes out. So you know what? We're going to do a stainless steel ladder so that we don't have any corrosion issues, don't have any safety issues. And the reality is the entirety of that lined carbon steel tank is just sacrificing to protect that stainless steel ladder. So those are, those are two examples that, that come to mind. Um, other times the, uh, the dissimilar metal coupling is, is more or less on purpose. You see that a lot with the use of stainless steel bolts on really just about anything. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the thought process being that you don't want a, a carbon steel bolt that might not necessarily get coated very well to just corrode away and not be useful. Or I've even heard some operations folks talk about how if they coat the bolts, then they have a hard time disassembling, you know, whatever that appurtenance is. And so they, a lot of people want to use stainless steel bolts. And again, that just sets us up for another dissimilar metal connection, the cast iron, carbon steel, ductile iron, whatever you, whatever ferrous metal you want to use in the example with a stainless steel bolt is, is just going to sacrifice to help protect the bolt. And then if you look at like vertical turbine pumps, that's a good example for, for using the dissimilar metal connections really to the designer's advantage if you can do it right. For, for example, like a raw sewage pump at a, at a wastewater treatment plant, periods of standby, the impeller and the shaft can be susceptible to MIC corrosion, microbiologically induced corrosion. And uh, you can really offset the susceptibility to MIC by coupling the stainless steel shaft and impeller with the, with the cast iron bowl. That uh, little bit of, of galvanic protection, we'll call it in this instance, offered up by the, the cast iron bowl can help prevent the mic from taking place. Well, Dean, th thank you for that. Those are some great examples. I, I can tell you from, from personal experience and, and just working for Tanemic, you know, as a leader in the water waste water industry, you know, we, we've really seen corrosion of dissimilar metals in various scenarios. So, so if you look first at water tanks, uh, similar to what, what one of the scenarios that you just laid out, you know, we, we've seen it where uncoated bare stainless steel ladders uh, were bolted to carbon steel dry riser pipe. And 
Uh, other instances where stainless steel mixing systems are bolted to an inlet outlet pipe flange in the wet riser. And so unfortunately in, in both of these scenarios, accelerated corrosion to the carbon steel substrate, really that area surrounding uh, the connection um, became an issue there. So, um, you know, and, and just talking about the water industry uh, so that the American Water Works Association um, has a great resource that talks about corrosion in, in the infrastructure and, and that's their M27 manual. And it talks a lot about external corrosion control for infrastructure sustainability. So I know, I know that that particular manual is actually going through a current revision, but um, I know it's it's very heavy on on talking about some of these premises that we're talking about today, amongst many others. Um, for the people listening, another great uh, industry resource is AWWA D102. Um, it actually has a section in it that discusses dissimilar metals and, and some of the ways to help mitigate corrosion. Um, I'll just read straight from the standard here. I love this quote. Um, and, and, it, and it says, though galvanic corrosion has a reputation for being a very dangerous and complex corrosion phenomenon, the options for mitigation and prevention are straightforward. So kind of goes back to, to how we opened the podcast today talking about, yeah, we are going back to basics, but th this is something that, that we've observed in a lot of scenarios, really across all geographies and across all industries. Um, you know, kind of going deeper into that D102 uh, standard in that dissimilar metal section, uh, they call out three methods for prevention or, or mitigation. Uh, the first of those is, is providing electrical isolation to break the electrical continuity between the metals. And sometimes th th this could really be as simple as using spacer materials, uh, things like you know, neoprene, rubber, plastic, nylon. Um, so, so, so very simple fix there. You know, cathodic protection systems are, are also utilized. Um, but pr protective coatings, you know, especially when you coat the more noble metal um, to act as a dielectric coating, that, that can eliminate a lot of issues or, or, or not necessarily eliminate, but at least mitigate and slow some of this down. You know, kind of talking about the wastewater side, you, you alluded to it a minute ago, Dean, but um, one of the things we see in, in wastewater clarifiers, you know, you'll see bare stainless steel piping coupled with coated carbon steel. Another thing that we'll see is, is stainless steel bolted connections on the carbon steel rake arm mechanisms. You see that in both clarifiers and gravity sludge thickeners. Um, and, and there's actually a, a, an old SSPC Coatings Plus paper by Corrosion Probe that talks about that. And, and the author talks about how these connections often get over tightened. Um, and so in turn, what happens is, is the coated steel gets fractured and then you end up having localized corrosion at those connections. And so, you know, really those, those are just a few of the, of the areas where we've seen them. Obviously, you know, it, it's many more than that, but those are just, just a few examples of um, galvanic corrosion, I guess, in, in the field. And, and unfortunately, some of, the, some of the bad effects of it. So Dean, I'd, I'd be remiss if, if we don't circle back to, to talking about protective coatings as a means for corrosion control. Um, I mean, heck, we, we are on the Coatings Decoded podcast today. So, so I guess we, we do owe that to our listeners, if, if anything else. But um, 
in situations that involve dissimilar metals, uh, from your time in the field and, and from your knowledge of, of this industry and, and really of corrosion, uh, what are some of the best practices that you, you observed when using protective coatings in scenarios that involve dissimilar metals? Yeah, yeah. So the biggest thing you get out of protective coatings with galvanic corrosion cells is that the protective coating really reduces the effective exposed surface area ratio between the anode and the cathode. Without the coating there, you know, the corrosion is going to be more concentrated right at that, that connection. But um, obviously it goes even further out than that distance wise. And I think there's a, there's another gentleman over at Tenemic that did some testing on it to really establish how far out it goes. And um, I think it was upwards of 50 feet that uh, galvanic corrosion current was still, was still there, which is kind of mind boggling. But, but using the protective coating and reducing the, the effective exposed surface area is, is super important and really just reduces that current density. Speaking for my, myself and my colleagues, we really like to use protective coatings with, well, I should say as a, as a means of redundancy. Um, you know, you brought up AWWA D102 and the methods listed in that standard for preventing galvanic corrosion. Um, and so, you know, really one of the easiest is, is just electrical isolation with a, with a spacing material, or if you have a bolted connection, isolating sleeves and washers. And then uh, we like to use protective coatings as our, as our redundant measure, you know, electrical isolation materials, the sleeves, washers, they really have a tendency to let you down. A lot of times they uh, might be a crack, a break, could over tighten the bolt. Uh, just something happens that ends up shorting out that bolt or whatever it is to, a lot of times the electrical isolation materials, they have a tendency to, to just not always work. Get a, a crack in a isolating sleeve or maybe over torque a bolt and the washer breaks, um, something happens that you just lose your electrical isolation. And we like to use protective coatings in the event that that happens to at the very least reduce the effective exposed surface area and reduce the overall corrosion rate. So we, we, we've definitely talked about some of the advantages of, of using a, a protective coating, um, especially on the stainless steel surfaces. Um, it, is, it is important to note that, you know, that there are some challenges when coating stainless steel substrates. Um, they are different than carbon steel. Um, instead of utilizing an SSPC SP10, instead you're, you're looking at an SSPC SP16, uh, which is brush off blast cleaning of, of 
such metals as galvanized steel, stainless steel, and, and other non-ferrous metal surfaces. Um, Tenemic it, it makes the recommendation for any coatings and immersion on stainless steel. Uh, we do recommend uh, to, to blast to an SB16 to achieve a three mil profile. Um, that some care really needs to be taking when you do abrasively blast these surfaces. Um, in a lot of tenemics testing, we've used such medias as aluminum oxide in, in place of some of the, your more traditionally seen and used blast materials. So it, it is a different substrate than carbon steel, but, but you know, it, it can be done. And, and we've really laid out here a lot of the reasons why, why you would want to coat stainless steel in, in these instances. But really, you know, looking back at some of the, those best practices that you laid out, Dean, um, it, it's very apparent that applying protective coatings to these stainless steel components can, can really help to greatly mitigate or reduce the effects of galvanic coupling. And so um, with that said, Dan, I, I'd like to, to kind of circle back to you and um, ask you if, if there's, you know, really some things you would like to leave with the listeners today. You know, we, we've, we've really covered a lot of, a lot of material here, um, but, but I was hoping you could kind of give us some, you know, a few key takeaways or main points that, that anyone listening to this, whether it be a design engineer, whether it be a, um, a coatings professional, uh, whether it be a contractor, really some things that they can be aware of and that they can take with them um, to better equip them moving forward. Yeah, so for all the my design engineers out there, um, I guess I would say really take a step back and, and consider the system as a whole rather than isolated pieces of equipment or pieces of pipe and take into account whether or not different metals are being used coupled together and sort of use that as your basis for designing a corrosion mitigation method for the galvanic couple the contractors and, and the guys in the field have it easy. They get to see two different metals installed together. So please, for the sake of people like myself, keep an eye out and let us know because I'd like to say that we'll, we catch it all in the design, but sometimes we don't. And it's good to know if it's there and if we need to do something about it. I mean, th thank you so much for those insights. And, and I want to, take this moment to really thank you again uh, for coming on Coatings Decoded to share some of your knowledge and, and really some of your best practices and observations from your, from your time in the field. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Definitely. My hope is that we have given our listeners a better understanding of galvanic corrosion and what happens if you don't properly address it. The good news is that asset owners have some tried and true tools at their disposal. And if these tools are employed correctly, owners can achieve greater integrity of their assets and in turn realize coding systems and assets that achieve longer service lives. Thank you to all the listeners again for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to Coatings Decoded for upcoming episodes.